You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus. You can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Welcome to Financials Podcast Future Rich. My name is Barbara Ginty and I'm your host. I am also a CFP, which is a certified financial planner, which I know that you probably all know by now. And I am here with my first guest who does not have a fake name. So we're going to use her real name and talk about um, everything. She has offered to be candid and come out and disclose her identity, which is a first. So welcome to the podcast, Misha. I'm so glad to be on your show. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So we normally start off with a little bit of background. So tell us um, about how old you are, where you live, um, your line of work. So I'm in my 30s. I live in Brooklyn and I'm a filmmaker and specifically a show creator, which means I create from premise through to execution series, whether they're digital or television. Oh, very interesting. So I know very little about this, obviously, because I'm in I just do finance all day. So how long have you been doing this sort of work? About three and a half years. Okay. So not too long. No. I'm new. I'm what you call a new newcomer to the industry. Got it. And what were you doing before? So I've done all sorts of things. When I very first moved to New York, I had a career in regular office jobs. I started in PR And then I moved into marketing and then I was an EA at a very large uh, global company and very supporting some of the top people there. And then I burned out on that (laughs) and uh, I went away to London to do some writing for a while. And then I came back to go to school here for acting. And around that time when I graduated, I started doing consulting for kind of back to what a little bit of what I had been doing before, but more creative, like branding, marketing, social media consulting, sort of career strategy for people. And then, you know, three, four years ago, I started writing these series and making them. That's amazing. And you've and you've seemed to be making a lot of progress with that. Well, I, I don't know about that, but I've made four shows and one of them is going to be on a network and uh, always looking to the next one. <laughs> Absolutely. And so tell me about the financial aspect of it. Of making shows? Yeah, making shows. I would say being an indie filmmaker is not financially viable. (laughs) (laughs) 
Did we have to fundraise for the shows? So I had saved up a lot of money from when I worked in corporate and I was very fastidious about my expenses. And so I had all this money and um, I decided that I wanted to invest in my career as a filmmaker because I felt that strongly that that was my purpose was to create shows and, and direct film and TV. Okay. And so I invested my own savings into my first couple of projects and then had something to show to show people that I wasn't completely inept. And Mm -hmm. from that, I was able to get a few private donors for my next few projects. And then the fourth one was financed mostly by the network that commissioned it. Okay, that's fantastic. So yeah, it seems like a, a regular business or startup, if you will, where initially you have to get financing or support, invest it yourself or fund it yourself. Yes. You can get it going and then off the ground. Yes. But the numbers are a lot lower than for most startups. So instead of, you know, six, seven, eight figures, you're looking at sometimes even three or four figures can be enough to make something really quality that goes on to some of the top festivals. Oh, that's really interesting. I would have thought, I would have thought it was higher. Well, it depends on on how resourceful you are, but (laughs) And then what about, do you get it? Do you get paid for doing it? Like with the one with the network that got picked up? So the money that the network gave me was not enough for me to feel that I was justified in paying myself. Okay. There's some directors that would take issue with that, especially female directors, but I would much rather see it put into the production budget than into my own pocket because at that, at that low budget level, it's nothing that's going to impact my, my bills. (laughs) So normally, if this were, this is why I say indie filmmaking is not lucrative because, or even a break-even kind of a situation, because in a TV deal, if it had been a TV show for an actual, like a cable network or something like that, you, as a show creator, you get paid like five, six, seven times for your job as the creator, your job as an executive producer, your role as the writer. If you direct, you're going to get a director's fee. You get paid for the IP. So there's a much bigger financial incentive to get to that level where you're broadcasting somewhere, you're streaming somewhere. Hence my patience and my forgiveness for this particular startup of my career not having paid off yet because I know that no one is going to give an unknown with no track record whatsoever a TV deal. It would be crazy. It would be bad business for them. It would be too risky. So I took the money that I had and for three and a half years, I've built this portfolio and now I'm taking that and I feel I do have a leg to stand on in meetings with television networks. Got it. Okay. And then, so what are you thinking from your perspective, from your personal finance perspective for what your runway, because normally you give yourself a certain amount of time, or is it something that you're just reevaluating on like a yearly basis? I'm not driven by money, but it is a significant consideration, of course, as you know. Mm -hmm. So for me now, now that I have satisfied this creative portfolio, and it's quite a strong portfolio for someone in my position, I do have to get real about the financial, the financials of it all. And what I'm looking to do and right now, but this is interesting because my decision is not driven by 
needing money, which I do. Okay. But the life of an entrepreneur is outrageously lonely. It's incredibly hard. And it messes with your head like almost no other way of earning a living that I can think of because you're, you're very isolated and under a lot of stress. So my decision now of actually I'm wanting to circle back around to corporate to get into a possibly take a development route, like as an exec with some networks or, you know, moving into a more producer development kind of type role at a larger uh, production studio is driven. (laughs) I've not told anyone that yet is driven mostly by my desire to connect to people, to have the resources of a larger organization and to not be so damn lonely. Yeah. Entrepreneurship for those of you listening, because obviously I'm an entrepreneur as well is a very, very lonely road. (laughs) Yeah. You can drive yourself crazy like five days a week easily. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And I think that's something that people don't think about because they're like, oh, you can do whatever you want. <laughs> like, well, you can kind of, but. And that's... there are certain types who that that lack of structure is exactly what they need to ignite their ambition mm-hmm. and their discipline, self-discipline. And then there's sometimes, I was just listening to Gary Vee about this yesterday. He's like, there's too many entrepreneurs right now. Uh, when the market crashes in two years, we're going to be fucked. And a lot of people, they're in the fad of entrepreneurialism, but they're confusing their desire. They're they're confusing their urge to be an entrepreneur with their urge to be an executive. They're actually executives. And I felt like he was talking right to me. So for a while, like I've been an entrepreneur and it, I had the, I was at a place in my life where that made the most sense. And that was what drove me. And now I feel like I'm truly moving into something that needs a bigger, community and a a bigger pool of resources at my fingers to be able to move forward. Understood. So you're thinking now rather than doing, so to support yourself, you have a regular consulting gig, right? That's also on your own. Um, And then you do your filmmaking, which satisfies your artistic desires. Yes. And I'm starting to get tapped to direct other paid digital series and commercials and stuff like that. So my plan right now is to go back to work at a really sick office like HBO, Marvel, Netflix, somewhere like that. Okay. But if that doesn't work out and I, or or if I get sidetracked like directing commercials, I'm not complaining, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So either one. No, so I know you're not motivated by money, but do you have a goal cuz since I do like to talk numbers. <laughs> So do you have a goal for like, so let's say if you were to go the executive route and go for Netflix, like, do you have a goal of what you would want to get paid to have the lifestyle that you want? Or if you're going the directing route, do you know, do you have a target in your head of if I make, if I can support my lifestyle, then maybe I'll stick with this path or does it not have, you're happy with either outcome? As a New York resident, I think it's challenging to have a fulfilling and comfortable life here. If you have any sort of credit card debt or student loans for under six figures a year. Yes. Because I know you're living in Brooklyn. That's why I was asking. (laughs) Brooklyn Brooklyn ain't the sticks, babe. It is not cheap. (laughs) It's very expensive. So, okay. So you would want to have a six figure income. That feels comfortable to me. I mean, I was earning 
since you talk numbers, in my early 20s, I was earning 75 grand to be an EA. And that was quite a while ago. Um, so I feel like it's strange because the positions that I'm looking at now that to me are the most fun in these big studios Mm-hmm. don't even meet that. And I'm like, Oh, do I really, can I really go back to that? And then jockey for some sort of promotion once I get there? I don't know. But I know that it would be hard for me to swallow uh, less than that. Less than a six figure salary. That, yeah. And and that makes sense with all the experience. And if you went back to school, so you, I would imagine you have some student loan debt. Potentially. Yes. So, so you need to have that covered, which you probably didn't have in your early twenties. Uh, I didn't have, I, I had like a couple of, um, like a financial aid package from this, my school, but I, I didn't have outside support. Okay. Um, so yeah, so then living in New York city and then having student loan debt, yeah, I would imagine you would need six figures to, to be comfortable as you said. I, and in defense of artists, <laughs> uh, for, well, first of all, let me say, I think it is absolutely possible to be a working artist and to also be financially successful. Um, being an artist, being financially successful are not mutually exclusive. A lot of artists have the complex that they can't do their art and make money at the same time. I think that's wrong. Yeah, I was going to say most people think that you're either going to do what you love and that's going to be enough or you're going to choose a different path to not yeah. do have That's wrong. Life. That's wrong. And it's a limiting self-belief that, like you said, so many people put on themselves. But at the same time, I think to put the emphasis only on money is weird and crazy. And also statistically, I think we reach a certain number. We reach a certain income bracket and our happiness ceases to rise. So we plateau. Do you know the number of that? I, I feel like, so I would say what the number is. I would, I would think that it needs to be adjusted for where you're living, right? Totally. If you're living in, I don't know, some part of Colorado outside of a major city, it's not going to be the same. Yeah. Detroit is not Monte Carlo. Totally. Yeah, exactly. Versus New York city. Um, I do think I want to say the number and I can double check it. We could put it in the show notes, but I wanted to say it's somewhere around 70,000 or 75,000. Yeah, exactly. I thought, I thought 80 was floating in my head, but yeah, it's, it's not a super high number. And I think that once again, like 75,000 in Alabama is very different than, as you said, 75,000, Brooklyn or Manhattan. So, but anyway, yes, it's diminishing returns, right? You don't then now have more happiness because you have more money. So I agree with you on that. I would be very happy earning low six and making films and television for the rest of my life. Yeah. And that sounds like it would be a perfect marriage. I think it's interesting um, that you're on this path of entrepreneurship and then you've decided to, you know, kind of change your career path to pursue your passion more. And then it seems like then you would be mixing both of your skill sets, right? What you learned in, and probably refined those skills in corporate America, being an EA and working in consulting. And then with your passion for filmmaking, you, it seems like it would be the best of both worlds. And it would give you, give you structure and more social interaction than you have as an entrepreneur. Thank you. So that seems to make sense. And the nice thing about that, because I think the hard thing about being an entrepreneur is you have to plan for your own retirement. Right. Which artists sometimes don't like to plan for retirement because they just say they're never going to not work. Yeah. Is that your team planning? I have no retirement planning right now. Okay. I have nothing in place. And in two years when the economy crashes, 
it if unless I start to make moves really fast, it's going to be uh, quite bad. When, when is the economy crashing? I just in, in two years. Oh, what do you have a date? Uh, no, but uh, if I get one, I'll email you. Okay. Yeah. So I definitely think even while you're doing the startup, if you can put anything away, even if it's ten dollars a month, it's always good to put something away for the future. Yes. <laughs> If your income is lower, if your income is lower now, you can do a Roth IRA where you wouldn't, you might not be eligible for if you get a good job at one of the networks. Right. I feel weird putting money away when I'm in debt. Yeah. So the, the hard part is because everyone has, most people have student loans. So you have multiple goals, right? In life. And it's hard to figure out how to balance all of the goals, which is saving for the future, emergency fund, paying down debt. If you're building a business, building a business. Um, so it's usually a balance between all of the different ones. So you definitely want to be paying down your debt, but being in your thirties, you also have the time value of money on your side, where if you put a little bit of money away now, you have the power of compounding of interest. So it will grow versus waiting till let's say you're 40 or 45, where you just don't have as much time on your side. Of course, that makes perfect sense. So I always just like to break it up. So depending on what you have coming in monthly, or if you get a directing gig, you could even just say, okay, maybe I'll do this one gig that I don't really want to do, but it's going to pay me. I don't know what they pay. Can I say like 200? Does that make sense? Directing? Yeah. No, no, no. Like directing commercials, it could be anywhere from a couple thousand on up to 15, 20,000. Okay. So let's say you get some sort of gig like that. Then I would just split it up based on what your goals are. So use some to pay down debt, use some to put towards the future, but we're checking off each of the boxes. Does that make sense? Yes. Because you're not going to get the time back. So you might get the debt paid off by the time you're, let's say you get your debt paid off by the time you're 40 with student loans or 45, and then you go to start on retirement, you lost all of those years. So what, the way I think of it is, it's sort of like, you're going to, if you're hungry and you, you know, you're trying to stay give yourself nutrition you have to keep eating your meals every day like that's paying your paying your debt right Mm -hmm. otherwise you die (laughs) but you also if you take your supplements which is putting something away for the future then you're like extra healthy yes because i take supplements every day so this is a a concept i can wrap my head around yeah so think about you're taking the supplements because you want your body to be healthy in you know, the supplement isn't really going to help tomorrow, right? It's for the your future well-being. Exactly. Consistent well-being. So you always want to be planning for your future self. Like you take care of your body so that when you're old, your knees are good, right? And everything's working. So you also then want to make sure that you have money for your own. Totally. I get that. Yep. So, and it's just about breaking it down. It doesn't all 100% have to go to debt and 100% to retirement. It's just about saying, okay, this is what I've made. And that's, and that's another tricky part about being an entrepreneur, right? It's easier when you have fixed income, when you know what you're going to make, and then just say, okay, we're going to put this amount towards debt, this amount towards savings, and other goals. But so for you, it's harder because you don't know what your income is. It depends if you get a gig. Right. And then you have to go and break it down. So I would just come up with a ballpark with the debt of how much debt do you have? When is it ideal to get it paid off? And then if you have student loan debt, it's not going to be paid off overnight. So you also then want to be putting something for your future self away at that same time because now... You don't want to waste, I don't want to say waste, but you don't want to spend 10 years only doing debt payments because you're not going to get that decade back to put towards your future retirement or future, whatever the goal is. 
And to give you an idea, your money can double in 10 years. So you, you would be missing a double of your money. Well, these are very sobering figures. So that's what I like to say. So what I like to do when I look at people, especially since you're in your 30s, you have a long time to go. Statistically, you'll live to be in your 80s. So that's 50 years. So you could get five doubles in there, right? Your money could double five times. So it's called the rule of 72 for our listeners, which means if your um, money is earning 7.2% rate of return, then it will double in 10 years. So I would just like to do quick math and just figure out how many years you have to double because the more years you have to double, the less money you have to put away. Awesome. Yeah, you don't have to do as much. You just want to be diligent about doing it consistently, just like you take the supplements. So you're not even talking about investing. You're just talking about putting it in. An, no, in uh, investing it. You don't want to be sitting in cash. It won't do anything. It won't make 7.2. So you want to have it invested in something. It could even just be one fund, just like an S&P 500 like generic, something based. I, is that the stock market? I mean, you're talking to. So you want to put it in an investment. You don't want to have it in cash. So you want to put it in something where it's invested in the stock market. Right. Well, I had, in, I had assumed like a bank account that gets interest, but maybe you can, uh, clearly I'm no, so a okay. freaking idiot. No, you're so. not an idiot. So a bank account with interest will not achieve our purpose because we need it to make on average over 7%, right? For it to double. So banks right now are paying. I think like a really good bank right now is paying like 2.25%. So that's not enough money. So, or not enough for the payment for your money. So you would definitely want to have it invested in the market. So we'd have the stock market. Stock market. Yep. And you want to have it all in the stock market. Not Bitcoin. Not Bitcoin. Please not Bitcoin. Um, <laughs> and I can't even talk about Bitcoin. I'm like bar- barred from talking about it. Uh, Understood. So you'd want to have it in the stock market. The easiest way to invest in the stock market is to use a mutual fund. So everyone knows the name brands, Fidelity, Vanguard, American Funds. You turn on the TV, they're all on the TV with running commercials. Um, but you want to go with a name that you recognize. And then you can they have thousands of options. I would pick an option where they've been around for 80 years, right? They have a long track record and they have good returns for those 80 years. It's an easy way to go and pick it. And then with the mutual fund, you're getting professional you can get professional management. It can either be active, meaning that the portfolio manager goes in and makes changes, or it could be passive where it's just mimicking an index. What's an index? An index is just an aggregation of stocks. So for instance, the S&P 500 is 500 stocks. It's a basket of stocks. So if you got a passive investment, it would just mimic that index. They would just buy you everything that the S&P 500, it would, the goal would be to mimic that index versus if you bought an active fund maybe they have 400 of those companies but they've decided 100 that they don't like and they go in and make adjustments that's like a high level between active and passive and so when you're active you're going to pay more because you have a person right doing it versus passive is cheaper because they're just mimicking what's already out there there's no human being going in and saying it's like automated. Yeah. Cool. That makes sense. I'm learning so much listening to you. <laughs> so that's what I would do. You don't want to put it that, and that is something that people don't realize. You don't want to put it in the bank account. So I am talking about investing for your retirement. So not just putting it in a bank account. So that way that while you're building a business and figuring out your next move and paying down your debt, that you're also putting something away for the future because the time element is your most important piece here. That we have a lot of time. Cool. 
Thank you. That makes that sense. Because I see too often with entrepreneurs, especially is there's so many, you have so many balls in the air, right? Like building a business and all of the stuff that goes into running a business and then your own personal finances, which is like student loans and credit cards maybe. And, and then saving for yourself always gets put on the back burner. And it's a big mistake. A lot of business owners and entrepreneurs make because it's hard. You can't, you can't buy back the time. Right. I feel very depressed now, but yes. <laughs> well, it's better to start now. Imagine if we had this conversation when you were like 45. It's more about my impending mortality than the money oh. the statement. You can't get the time back. Is just, it's hitting a few buttons, if I'm honest. Yeah, you can't get the time back. So you just want to, you want to get started as soon as possible, even if it's not a large amount that you're contributing. Well, that sounds good. So what I should not do then, I did have a financial advisor at one point, and I say that with air quotation marks that you can't see, but he um, he came recommended through a friend. Because at one time, before I started pouring all my money into these crazy film projects, I had all you know savings. And I said, hey, friends on social media, does anyone have a financial advisor that you can recommend? And one person was very, very enthusiastic about hers. She loved him. She said, he's amazing. He's changed me and my husband's life and you should meet with him. So I did. And, um, me being, you know, a financial, uh, nincompoop, as you just heard, I went in knowing nothing and, and being very trusting of this person. And even me with as little, as little as I know about money, I could still smell that something was not right with this guy. And by the end of the meeting, he was pitching me life insurance as his, the, the, the main stay of his business of uh, financial investment. Life insurance was the first thing that he was going to do with you. Yes. How old were you at the time? Uh, this was a while ago. Um, you were in your 20s? So I was in my 20s, did yeah. You have, um, did you have any dependents or any financial no. obligations that wouldn't die with you? No. What? Life insurance is only necessary in my opinion, when you have... I was as single as I am now, which is very freaking single. I didn't even have a house plant. I have one now. So anyway, at the time, I thought, okay, well, even if, you know, you make all this money off of your life insurance, because apparently there's like, I don't know, I don't remember. There was some scheme where you get money back from it, like monthly or yearly well, or something. I don't usually know. Usually when they're selling it to you and you're single and you don't need it, they tell you it's going to be your retirement plan. No, I think there was like a way to get money back. I don't know. Maybe it was like an even more nefarious scheme than, than I think. But um, it did revolve around life insurance. And I just called my friend who's an accountant. And I said, hey, man, you're the most conservative guy I know. What's up with this? This dude's trying to sell me life insurance. Is this viable? Because he says I could make X amount of money. And my friend was like, run, don't walk. That would have been my advice as well. Run. <laughs> He's like, this is the most classic, classic mistake that, that like classic, uh, you know, snake oil BS that, that people try to do. Yeah. Cause that would have been like the, that would, the first thing you would have started with is do you have student loan debt? Do you have a budget? Do you have an emergency fund? Are you saving for the future? Those would have been all the things that you would have talked about. Now, if you were married or a single parent with a dependent, that would have been a very important conversation. So, well, he did. He did encourage me. He wasn't all bad. He encouraged me to like what you just did. He was like, "You really need to be saving and you know not 
getting ready to spend all your money. You need to be putting this amount away and, you know, you can invest it or blah, blah, blah. So, and then he said, one of the ways I recommend investing it Uh is a company that we work with. And then he went into the whole pitch. Yeah. So he, he was, he was right on about having you invested. He was wrong about where to put it. Yes. So it wouldn't have really served you that well anyway. So it's better off that you didn't do it. And I agree with your friend, if this, if you're listening to this and this has happened to you and I know (laughs) because the person that you were dealing with was not a financial planner. They were a life insurance salesperson. Yeah. And honestly, it felt sleazy at the time. So um, the the good news is you have great gut gut instinct. And I always tell people you have to go with your gut with these things, because if it doesn't feel right and it feels uncomfortable, you should run. (laughs) Definitely leave. So there's a lot of people out there and this goes for all the filmmakers listening as well, who really are quite good at separating you from your money. I believe it. My mom got targeted by an, her old, an old friend, I'll just say, and he got her to invest in one of his films, and he even like made the money back, and she's never going to see it. What? That's awful. Yeah. Yeah, you do have to be very careful. There are like the snake oil salespeople out there, and they're going to say what they need to say, and it's going to usually be a pressure sale because they want to make the sale and move on. Um, yep. which is if you're listening to the podcast, that's not what you want. Um, so it's always good. I think what you did was calling a CPA. It's always good to refer to somebody with a designation who has to uphold that designation. So like we have a, an ethics commitment and we're fiduciaries as CFPs, um, but you could do a CPA or a CFA. So if it doesn't feel right, always check with somebody, somebody else who is trusted and respected and comes with, I would say a designation or even an attorney, just because it's always worth getting a second opinion on these things. A hundred percent. Yeah, no, you definitely, you got fantastic advice from him and it's a good story that you're telling because it happens to more people than you think. The thing is it happens to all people. You can be smarter, smart in personal finance or not smart in personal finance. And a lot of people get taken advantage of by pure life insurance salespeople. And it's typically, and not all, not all life insurance salespeople are bad, but they definitely, there are definitely people out there that, and I don't think that they mean to pray, but they learn one product really well, which is life insurance. And so then that's what their job is to sell. So just like anything else, if you were going to go to a Ford dealership, they're going to sell you a Ford car. Maybe you're better off with a Toyota, but they're not going to sell you a Toyota. They're going to try and sell you a Ford. So when you're dealing with a life insurance person and that's what they do, even if they say they're a financial advisor, they're going to try and sell you life insurance because that's their product offering. That's what that person does. Yep. So I always think if you want to get a holistic overview of your personal finances or want help, you want to choose somebody who's a generalist who maybe does life insurance, but also does investments and also does plant retirement planning and does everything. And that's why, that's why I have the CFP and that's why I always recommend you work with the CFP because you know that they're going to have your best interest at hand and that they have education in all components and they're not there to just sell a product. Totally. The hard part about it is you don't know what they're, you don't always know until you meet with them. Right. And and in my case, you didn't even, you can't even, I couldn't even tell on referral. Right. Cause you got a really good referral. Yeah. So that's the tricky part. So getting a second opinion, just like anything else, like you would with your health is also worthwhile. Totally. 
So, Misha, do you have any other questions for me? If I were to email you in a couple weeks and say, I'm ready to put my money in Fidelity, which do I go with the automated one or the not automated one? Is that an email that you would respond to? Yes, I could help you with that. That would be amazing. And um, I certainly recommend for any filmmakers out there listening who have some sort of um, <laughs> some sort of <laughs> side income, not me, but anyone listening, I, I just I got such a great feeling about you and I I look forward to um, maybe in about six months time when I've landed somewhere, I would like to revisit, you know, talking more about your what you offer because although I'm not in a position to hire a financial planner now, I I very much want to. And as you can tell from my previous story, it's something that I'm willing to do if I have money. Yeah. And I definitely think, and there's a great, a great need for it. And I think when you're in the right position, it can be very valuable. I think for now you're just choosing your, figuring out what your path is going to be. And then, yeah, absolutely. We can always reconnect. I have heard, I was with my friend the other week and he was talking about his friend is a financial planner to celebrities. And they just, they make so much money, some of them, and they're so chaotic and crazy that they will be paying out like one third of their income to their financial planners because they just don't want to deal. They don't want to touch anything. They don't want the headache. Is that, and this person, my friend's friend makes like, they'll take one third to organize their entire financial life of this celebrity. So Without knowing exactly, I do know that there are full service firms that do everything down to paying their housekeepers. Yes, exactly. So then they're paying; they're going to be paying for their investments, but then they're also going to be whatever the negotiated. I would imagine the negotiated rate to then provide all of these services, which can be inclusive of planning their vacations and paying for it, and scheduling their private jets, and making sure their entire home runs smoothly and all their staff gets paid. So, I mean, that's a totally different service. I mean, those are... That's not what you do. (laughs) Nope. I do not pay people's bills. We do not do bill pay. Um, Those are for usually very high net worth individuals where they're a celebrity or they're running a business where it's not. It doesn't make sense for them to be doing that because they make more money running their business or practicing their craft. Right. And so usually the minimums for those, I would say, I'm just guessing it's like 25 million usually where then you would be and I don't think it's a third I don't think they're giving a third of their net worth to these firms but I think that it's a certain I do think they're paying a premium to have an all-encompassing service well one day in the meantime I'll hire you okay you work towards that and then we'll we'll get you started for retirement between now and then sounds great Well, thank you very much for being on the show. We'll wrap it up for our listeners. So thank you for listening. Be sure to please like us and leave a review on iTunes. We were doing a a giveaway for that. We stopped the giveaway, but we still would love to hear your reviews on iTunes. And I would also like to all our listeners to know, as of right now, we only have two more spots left for this this season, but we will be uh, taking listeners our guest interviews for 2020. So if you are interested in being on the 2020 show, let us know. And if you want to learn more about personal finance, check out www.financial.com and you can take our class. 
Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. You can probably treat yourself to an ad-free upgrade, or at least grab an extra latte. After getting a Chime checking account with features like fee-free overdraft up to $200 with SpotMe, no minimum balance requirements, and no monthly fees. Open your account in minutes at Chime.com goals24. That's Chime.com goals24. Chime. Feels like progress. Banking services and debit card provided by Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. Members FDIC. SpotMe eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply.